Hello there, welcome to Defiance. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I have an interview with Josh and Katie McGruff, whose two-year-old daughter, Clara, has Down syndrome. Now, I've known Josh for a couple of years. We first reached out to each other on Twitter. We were talking about Bitcoin, actually, and then I got to know him in a bit more. I saw about some of his updates regarding his daughter and started talking to him about this. He started explaining to me some of the challenges of raising a daughter with Down syndrome, but also some of the pleasures she has brought to their lives as well. And specifically, we couple of times got into the details regarding the healthcare system out in the US and how it can trap you and some of the financial costs, something that you don't really have when you're living in the UK because we have the NHS. So Josh has always been open with me with regards to the progress and the difficulties. And I said to him, do you know what? I'd love to get you on Defiance. I'd love to talk about this. So when I was out in the States recently, I hired a car and I took a trip to Ohio to meet the family and talk about the day-to-day challenges they face, the US healthcare industry and the financial implications of raising a child with Down syndrome. And just a note that the sponsor profits for this show will be donated towards Clara's medical costs. If you also want to make a donation, then I've added some details in the show notes. But before we get into the interview, I do need to thank my sponsor Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin. Consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange, Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. Are you a Bitcoiner? If not, and you would like to learn more about Bitcoin, then please do check out my other show, What Bitcoin Did, which Kraken also sponsors. Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer digital currency without any central authority. By not having any controlling party required to validate transactions, Bitcoin is both trustless and permissionless. It is an opt-out of government fuckery. And as Edward Snowden said, Bitcoin is freedom. Find out more at kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, if you are enjoying Defiance and you want to support the show, there's a number of things you can do. You can leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show. You can follow me on social media, at Peter McCormack, and you can share it out with your friends and family. The reason why we fight is to draw attention to issues and to fix it. Resilient. Resolute. Defiant in the face of impossible odds. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is the money. Hundreds of protesters turned out singing Glory to Hong Kong, an anthem of defiance. Hi, Josh. How are you, mate? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. So we've... Uh, I, I was trying to figure out how long we've been kind of vibing online. It's probably about... Oh, it's been like, a couple of years, I'd say, yeah. roughly. Um, I got into the space... Mid 2017-ish, so sometime shortly after that. Yeah, I remember reading an article you wrote. Yeah, I used to write. Uh, I wish I'd get back more into it. It's just you know time and things of that nature. But I've always enjoyed writing and things like that. And so I find things within the crypto space that are entertaining to me and write something about them whenever the the itch strikes. Yeah, man. Well, listen, I didn't know this would be the thing we talked about, but I've obviously followed Clara and obviously followed your story uh, with great interest and. So I want to ask you some things about it, but absolutely, we should we should do the whole story, and so I can fully understand like the experiences you've been through, and and everyone in the background can hear Clara. Hi, Clara. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the starting point would have been Caitlin's pregnancy. Yep. I'm going to make the assumption, but tell me if I'm wrong. You have a similar test as we have in the UK when you're pregnant. You can actually find out. Mm-hmm. If your child has Down syndrome, is that the same? Yes, amniocentesis, I believe, is how you say that. But there are similar tests, and so with that, Katie was going through her standard ultrasounds. Uh, everything looked okay up to that point. We went in for one of them, and uh, things were kind of off the rails at that point. They'd said, you know, hey, we have some concerns, some things we want to take a look at. They went along. I actually remember I was sitting at work, and I got a phone call from her mother, and. Uh, 
her mom called and said, hey, you know, Katie went in for an ultrasound. Things didn't go the way we expected. You need to come down to the hospital. So I said, okay. Let my boss know. She said, you know, go, take care of whatever you need to do. So off I went. Got down to the hospital. Um, she was sitting in the waiting room getting transferred over to a different area. And so sat down there with her. And uh, I was like, well, you know, what's going on? And she said they found fluid around the baby. And so that was a condition called hydrops, uh, hydrops fatalis. And basically, some of her different organs had fluid that had built up around it. Wasn't a good condition any way, shape, or form. We found out there was really about a 50% survival rate. Okay. And so right off the bat, we're like, you know, it's a coin flip for our kid. And so obviously, we were terrified. We didn't know. And the, the worst part about it was is this was an underlying symptom for something. We didn't know what caused it, but, you know, it's not a condition just of itself. It's something caused this. So we sit down with the doctors, and this is before we did any of the genetic testing, and they said, you know, here's a list of things that it could possibly be. And a lot of them were different infectious diseases, other genetic conditions, and things of that nature. And really, as weird as it sounds, the best outcome would have been Down syndrome. Okay. It was the most manageable thing, the most known, treated, you know, worked with thing around. And so... After we had the genetic testing done, that's when we found out, yes, it was Down syndrome, and it was good news at that point. You know, it was when you percept it in that, uh, that direction, it, when it gets framed that way, it makes it great news, you know? And so we were excited at that point. We're like, we can work with this. We can, we can do this. And so Katie was admitted into the hospital a bit, uh, for about five weeks, and she was down there 24-7. They had her monitoring, things like that. I was coming back home. Me and Jackson were kind of living our own little bachelor life at that point. And nice. I was getting him to school, feeding him, you know, burnt pancakes and all the things I can't cook. And once we, uh, we got through that, uh, we knew Clara was going to have to have a C-section. Um, so they went ahead. They delivered Clara. Uh, initially, things were perfect. Uh, she came out. We had no issues. Everything was happy. What ended up happening, though, is uh, she started having issues with her blood sugar. And so they said, well, we're not going to be able to keep her on this side of the, the hospital, like the non-NICU side. You know, we're going to have to move her over to the NICU. She got over there, and at that point, she started having trouble breathing as well, too. She also had some issues with her skin tone. Forgive me on this, but the she basically had, a, like, jaundice, or she had to go underneath the UV lamp and things like that to, to get her back to where she needed to be. So... She spent about three, four weeks in the NICU and got discharged, and here we are. We came home. So the reason they do the test in the UK, and obviously this is, this is quite a brutal question, but the reason they do it in the UK is a lot of people choose to terminate birth when they've had this. So I've got two children as well. We chose not to have the test because we didn't even want to be put in that position of having the choice. But it must have crossed your mind. It, it, I guess it's the same reason they do here. Yeah, I would say a lot of times, I think that's why most people would probably have it, if it's not a medically, you know, induced uh, question or something along those lines. You know, Katie and I are both pro-choice, but at the end of the day, we we still wanted to have our child. Mm -hmm. And so regardless of what condition she had or what those things were, we still saw her as our baby. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, whatever it is, we'll work with it. We'll, She's we'll freaking it. adorable. <laughs> and so, yeah, and, uh, you know, we don't regret it for a moment, and... You know, those little little hugs and kisses and things like that, just, they melt you, so. And Katie, how did that, because you've obviously got two children now, so you've been yes. through two pregnancies. Mm -hmm. How was that as a second pregnancy for you? Because obviously you've got a lot more to consider. Did it make it more stressful? I mean, obviously it did, but like, how was that for you? Um, overall, 
I mean, being in the hospital for five weeks was extremely stressful. (laughs) Just not being able to prepare like a normal pregnancy. Like most women are home and they're nesting and they're getting the crib ready and everything. And I was stuck in the hospital on the phone with him and trying to explain what needed to be done and then hoping that it was done. But overall, I think knowing that she was going to have Down syndrome made it a little less stressful because I was, I knew I was going to get more help okay. than a normal pregnancy, but it turned out great. I mean, everything turned out really easy. <laughs> and help me understand with regards to Down syndrome, because yeah. I don't know a lot about it. I'm obviously aware mm-hmm. of it as a, you know, one of my best friends, his brother has Down syndrome, oh, okay. but I don't fully understand it as a condition. Is it a spectrum? Is it that it affects children in different ways? And There's no real spectrum like autism or anything like that. It's not recognized as a spectrum disorder. It's a genetic disorder. Mm -hmm. So she has a third copy of the 21st chromosome. And there are different types of Down syndrome. There's trisomy 21, which Clara has. There's mosaic, which is half a copy in comparison to the full third copy. And then there is translocation, which is genetically bound to the parents. They carry that gene, and then they get translocation Down syndrome. But overall, it more affects speech, motor skills. A lot of people with Down syndrome have low muscle tone, so their normal developmental milestones are lessened. She didn't start walking until about 18 months, and usually that's about a skill around one year to uh, 14 months. But it it affects everybody differently. I know with Mosaic, it's less severe in the way that it develops, the developmental at least is. But other than that, it's I explain it to my son as the same as everybody else, but it just takes her a little bit more help and a little bit more time to do things. Okay, yeah. okay. And so as a baby, does it make mm-hmm. a huge difference as a baby in terms of care? It was actually easier taking care of her. She doesn't have... A lot of severe medical issues. Uh, she does have some different heart issues, but nothing that affects her on a daily basis. So it was easier because she didn't. She wasn't moving around as much. She so we got to snuggle her a okay. lot longer than a normal child. Great for a mom. Exactly. With my son, he was a go getter from the start, and so he never really wanted to be held. And we got to hold her longer, and it took her longer to be able to walk and move around. So it was more just spending more time in, as a baby in comparison to moving on to that toddler stage. So, And feeding, does it, yeah. it feeds fine? She did have trouble feeding. Uh, she had kind of a rough start where she started in the NICU for four weeks, and she was fed through a um, NG tube. Okay. And I wasn't able to breastfeed her, so I ended up pumping, and she got breast milk like that from me just so that she had a better chance with immunities and everything else give her a little bit (laughs) but she was bottle fed when she came home which I'm always that key believer in like fed is good so (laughs) any way that you can feed a baby is perfect and separate to the down syndrome Mm -hmm. condition she she suffered with a few other things right yes so she had some liver calcifications that we had to follow up with the liver clinic at Children's. She also, at six months, developed infantile spasms. And so she was having, she started having these um, jerking motions that we found out later were actual seizures. 
And so she was going in every other week and having EEGs done. We had to stay in the hospital for a week waiting for certain medications to be approved. And then she got two injections daily that we gave her at home of steroids. Okay. When did the medication that you mentioned to me come into place, Josh? Uh, Which one is that? Is that the one that had the side effects that we were discussing? Yeah. So that was the second uh, round, which was the Vigabitrin. So as we were talking about with the steroids, uh, that was the first like primary round of treatment. And so it's not a guaranteed success rate. I don't know what the percentage is for, you know, success or not off the top of my head. But nonetheless, that was uh, plan A. Didn't work. So we went to plan B, which was the Vigabitrin. And so one of the side effects of that was that described to us is that it could cause blindness. And so, like I said, that's it's kind of a, a real terrifying aspect as a parent of where you have your child, you know they can't have these spasms. It's a guaranteed death sentence if we don't do anything about it. And we'll slowly just bake her brain. And so, hey, you know, plan A didn't work, so now we're going to go, you know, pull a plan B and let's give this a shot. Oh, by the way, this could possibly blind your child. So obviously we had to go through the treatment. We didn't really have any other choice. And so we did. And of course, we're fortunate enough that it didn't happen with Clara. And as far as we know, we don't have any kind of issues uh, with eyesight or anything. She had to wear glasses, but that was kind of prior. It wasn't expected to be related to that. So um, yeah, so that was kind of a terrifying aspect of that. And so, so we got really lucky. But that's, she's okay with that now. That's, yeah. that's cured. And so what's interesting about infantile spasms, and we hear this a lot from you know, like folks on Twitter and stuff like that, we'll mention seizures and they'll say, oh, hey, have you guys looked into like CBD and you know things like that? And from what we've been explained, they're a different type of seizures. It's not the same as like an epileptic seizure or something of that nature to the point of where it has a specific signature on an EEG. So when we took her to neurology, they looked and they're like, oh yeah, that's infantile spasms, no doubt. And we got really lucky, too, that 45 minutes down the road is one of the leaders in the U.S. in specializing in that, in that uh, disorder. So anyway, though, but like CBD, things like that don't really have any effects. And so I said, those are the options we had, really, and that's what we worked with. And so, and so what are you dealing with now with Clara? So she, we've got a bunch of different appointments and things of that nature. Uh, I know she's got heart issues that she follows up with on a regular basis, liver issues. She has thyroid medicine she takes on a daily basis. She has some optometry stuff that they do. Uh, she's got to wear glasses. She probably should be wearing them right now and isn't, but you can imagine how easy it is to keep glasses on a little girl like that. Haven't I seen their like strapping on yep. ones? Yeah, and the yeah, pictures. They're around here somewhere. I'll they're show like them goggles. to you. For, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. They look like little aviation goggles yeah. almost. So she's got those as well. Overall, though, in the grand scheme of things that could have happened with her, she's doing pretty good. And she really didn't get the full gambit of, of what possibilities could have been. So so are these all, all these separate issues related to Down syndrome or are they independent? They're all related to Down syndrome. Okay. So, okay. Um, or at least, I don't, you know, anybody could have them, but specifically pointed towards the genetic issues is why she has them. Okay, and so... You mentioned the Facebook group. So I guess there's what communities that you can look to. There's other people you can talk to. Absolutely. So there are all kinds of special need groups and things like that. And so one of the ones 
not related specifically to social media, but here in the area is the Down Syndrome Association of Greater Cincinnati. And so, as uh, I was discussing earlier, they came out on Thursday and came through to the house and they brought us kind of like a welcome basket and they're getting us integrated in with right. like a year group of people who've had children with Down Syndrome in 2018 when Clara was born. There's a dad's group I'm going to be joining and different things like that to yeah, have that, that social aspect in exposure to to other parents who may have gone through something and, and work with them so there's there's obviously social support there there yep. is like a, a year group for her to have friends with absolutely and then a bunch of dads to get on the pub yeah we were late to get in, integrated in with them but we are now and like i said we just all we really had to do is just send them an email and then they send somebody out to the house to come meet us and, and sit and talk Okay, and so what are the different stages you have to consider now for her life, like as she grows up and how is it going to affect her in terms of what do they do with regards to schooling? So she has, uh, by chance, my son's aunt works at the school she'll go to. My son goes to the same school as well. So she's already kind of known at the school there. So they, are, they already expect that she'll come through there and things like that. But she gets to start school a year early. She'll start at age three. And mm-hmm. so she'll go through pre-K twice. And we don't know yet. Whatever she needs, you know, they'll, they'll kind of help us out with. Is it, is it a specialist class or does she have specialist support in a class with children without Down syndrome? We won't know yet. You but know. It, could, it could be either. It could, yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll push to try to get her integrated into a standard class and have an aid versus, you know, a special education uh-huh. class or something like that. And really a lot of that just purely has to do with how does she respond cognitively? You know, how does okay. she do? And if she has the social skills and, you know, can keep up with whatever the academics aspect of it is, then she can. She can maintain in a standard class with an aide or something like that. So I am aware that ongoing there there are people with i'm trying to think how do you actually what's the correct way to say it? do you say people with down syndrome is that typically that's what yeah. people would say so who actually move towards independent living yeah yeah so yeah actually here at university of cincinnati they offer degree programs for people with down syndrome to go achieve a degree mm-hmm. and then uh, there's i can't remember the name of the television show off the top of my head but we actually watched it for a while because it gave us some insight. It was when Claire was very young, or it might have been when Katie was still pregnant, but nonetheless, it was a reality TV show around people with Down syndrome who are now adults and kind of what they do in their independent daily life. And people had apartments, they had jobs, they drove mm-hmm. a car, you know, all those different things of that nature. And so, you know, it breaks a lot of the stigmas, I think, or kind of some of the stereotypes people may have uh, when they see someone who's like severely disabled and that's the picture they get. And so that's also another reason why I like doing the Twitter account for her is mm-hmm. for that that exposure, that advocacy, that normalcy of, you know, putting a face to it and things. The guy promised I wouldn't say his name, but there's a person on Twitter who's got a pretty decent following. He actually just messaged me. I just told Katie about this the other night and it caught me off guard, but it kind of clicked and this was like a really rewarding moment for doing her account. Mm-hmm. And so he said, hey, says, I want to, you know, you kind of want to give me some S about saying, you know, about me and Claire, he's like, you ruined a joke for me. This guy kind of comes off as brunt, but he's got a soft heart underneath there. I hope he listens to this because he'll know exactly who he is. But anyway, he says, you ruined a joke for me or you and Claire did. And I said, well, what was that? I said, were you going to call someone retarded or something like that? He says, yeah, kind of. He said, says, we're talking about crypto Twitter. And he said, a being like popular in crypto Twitter is like being the smartest kid with Down syndrome. And he says, but I stopped. And he says, and I thought about you and Clara with that. And he says, I felt bad you know, about saying that. And I said, yeah, I said, I would have certainly raised an eyebrow and been like, you know, that probably wasn't the proper thing to say in any way, shape or form. But it hit me that our story impacted him enough to stop, pause and realize what the implications of that could possibly mean and see the human aspect Mm -hmm. of 
there's a person, you know, it's not just a condition. And so that, that was a really rewarding moment for me when I was like, this is why I want to do this, is I want to uh, yeah, advocate dude, for her. Listen, I love following the updates. From, I, I, I can't remember if I follow Clara, but I see your updates. I love following it. I think it's, it's really it's interesting. <laughs> but, but a question from that then. So you will probably regularly hear people use the word retarded, right? Sure. Without thinking about it. Does that affect you? Do you care? No. And so, I mean, honestly, I did. You know, I used to say it and things like that too before I had Clara. And I tried to obviously not say it anymore. I think context has a lot to do with, with what someone's trying to say. I think... I mean, most times people are trying to say, let's, let's dumb. They're not thinking of the comparison to someone who sure. has some kind of condition. And I think that's it. Is Are you being malicious towards a person with a disability or mm -hmm. are you just saying a word? If you really break down and look at it, it just means slow. You know, it, mm. it means to, to regress and things of that nature. It's just been tied now to a condition, a medical, you know, things of that nature. But again, I don't think the majority of the people who use it are actively thinking of a disabled person no. when they say it and are being malicious. I think that's a big differentiator versus someone who's just being malicious and using it as, as hate. And, so. do you, and do you, when you're out and about, do you have to witness people? Do people stare a bit more? Do you have to deal with that? Is that something that you notice? Or no, are you just blending and even caring about it? I'll take that back. Yes, she does get a lot of attention, but it's almost always positive. I've never to date had a, a negative interaction with the yeah. public with her. She's normally bell of the ball. People come up and are waving at her. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to pick her up. They're, they're, they're wanting to do things with her and she just wins hearts. So. Well, I mean, I was all right with her. And then I saw the queen shirt. I'm like, <laughs> okay, no, we're good. We're good now. Now you're a queen. No, she's, she's absolutely adorable. Thank you. She doesn't stop smiling. She's uh, absolutely adorable. I love, like I say, I love seeing the pictures on. I, I also noticed what, since I've been here, so you talked that she'll have speech developmental problems, but she is saying hi. Yes. So, so she will learn to talk. Yeah, certainly. It will just take, what, longer? So, well, that's another interesting thing that you bring up. So she does have hearing issues, too. Okay. And so she had tubes in her ears at one point. They've fallen out already, and she may have to get them re-put back in. But they say that she talks muffled, you know, putting that hand over your mouth and talking. Mm -hmm. That's about how it sounds for her. And so, and the reason why, she just has a ton of fluid and stuff that keeps building up within there. And when the tubes aren't in, can't release. And so that could affect her speech in more... Uh, you know how she pronounces things of that nature okay so i just got distracted by her yeah, no, understandable. <laughs> yeah. Easy. she's so adorable but you, i noticed also you observed i picked up on the signing so is the first stage to teach to sign as she learns the speech i don't know the methodology behind it but i know that's something that everywhere that we've read we've talked with people um start integrating as soon as you can and so we use it as we try to teach her words in general you know as you point at something you say do you want more we'll make the sign for more and things like that and so that that's it we just try to kind of i guess teach both at the same time or try to build that association between the words and the sign and so i don't know if we really have a method for our madness we just kind of mix it in so i guess everything is just trying to make life as normal as possible absolutely i mean obviously you've got to deal with certain issues and be aware of certain things but i guess you just the breaking down of the stigma is by just trying to give clara the opportunity to live as standard life say as her brother absolutely and so that's that's the main goal is whatever you know deficiencies or weaknesses she has find the social programs or what we can do to plug those so she can live a standard normal life. And, and I'm aware there's charities, I mean, it might not be charities, it might even be a commercial company, but that 
work at helping place people with Down syndrome into companies. I'm not familiar with it, but I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sure... I, I saw a documentary about it. So I'm sure the Down Syndrome Association down there, and that's why we're so happy now that we're, we're integrated with those folks. Because uh-huh. like I said already, we talked about financial aid and some things like that, and they told us, you know, hey... Some of those things you guys may not even shouldn't have had to pay for. You know, these people should have told you about these programs or this or that. And you know, they said there's no promises, but because some of those things have time limits. But hey, we're going to try to help you guys see if we can get some of that stuff backdated and things of that nature. But it's that assistance, those people that are experts that deal with the stuff on a daily basis that know where to point you and navigate through this versus. Hey, we're just kind of winging it and, you know, hey, maybe somebody will casually tell me about a program I can Google into first. Hey, your daughter's now going to be going to the workforce. Go check this out, you know, or whatever. Okay. So we're going to talk about the medical side of things as well in terms of like the cost and such. There is one other thing I want to ask you about that. And it is t- it's kind of a tough question because I don't want you... I don't want to trigger something and make you overthink about it, but it's something I'm aware there's a there is a different life expectancy for someone with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. That's right. About 50, 60, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hi. I just want to check that was correct because I'm no. sure I'd heard of that. I'll tell you something interesting as well on the way in. I love the synchronicity of life sometimes. So we've got a... There's a guy in the UK called Mark... Hey. There's a guy in the UK called Mark Kermode who does film reviews. And I'll only ever listen to the show when I'm in the car. And he wrote a letter in. It's typical. I'm 10 minutes from here. He's, he had a letter somebody wrote in to say, oh, I have my 14-year-old son's birthday tomorrow. Uh, he's got Down syndrome. He struggles with speech, but not whenever they put a musical film on. Whenever they put Frozen on, he can sing every song all the way through. <laughs> and I was just like, what synchronicity if that, that happened on the way? Have you noticed that she responds to any anything such as music or life? Absolutely. Okay. So she is that loves, why she's a Queen fan? Yeah, she <laughs> lo- well, really, she just started dancing, or what I would call dancing uh, here recently. There's a toy duck out there that, when you t- touch the pop- top of its head, starts playing all kinds of music, spins around, and lights up and stuff. And she does this, you know, sideways wiggle shuffle thing that she does, and she'll only do that when that duck's on. And but in general, ever since you know she could start crawling. She would get interacted with anything that was would light up, color, things of that nature, music. She loves that stuff. I have some some lullabies that I made up, so to speak, and I sing those to her whenever she gets upset, and a lot of times those will soothe her and calm her down, and, and she definitely responds to music. So everything seems pretty chilled and cool since I've been here. It seems very much like my house when my kids were young. You know, how much of this is, like, because I'm here or... Or like, are there additional stresses and pressures that I'm not aware of that is put on you, or have you just seem to have coped with it and not given a fuck? Oh, excuse my language, not given a fuck. Really. I, now you're fine with us. Uh, yeah. yeah. So either way, though, no, I think that's that's an honest observation. And so the only additional stressors I would say that maybe aren't visible as you sit here in the household is just the time consumptions that happen. You know, like I said, it's not so much that she may have something actively going on. It's the potential for what can develop. And so because of that, she has numerous, numerous follow-ups and checkups and things of that nature. So if something does happen, we're right on the cusp and bleeding edge to, to get in front of it. And so, uh, like I said, my wife used to work full-time, and so she dropped a part-time because she has usually, I mean, at least four, five, six appointments a month at minimum. And some of those are in a single week, you know, depending on how they fall. And the problem is a lot of those things may be six months out for booking. So you, you get, you're at the mercy of whatever they have available. And so 
I think that's really the only additional thing. Otherwise, I mean, this is this is life as normal. She hangs out in that play area there. She runs around. She gets into the DVDs and stuff she's not supposed to. Rips them all down. Yeah, and then I got to go restack them or I make her brother do it to his dismay. Yeah, mom, we, we go around and just try to live life, you know, as normal as we can. Hey, mom, do you want to tell me about the appointments? Give, uh, give Josh a break. So you're obviously juggling a lot more than most mums. You know, you're juggling a family. You're juggling your job and a husband who probably doesn't do everything you want all the time because us men are a bit fucking useless. But you're juggling a lot and then all these additional appointments on top. Like, So how much is involved with this? Um, like you said, I usually do the bookings about six months out depending on what's going on. But I think at this point she has roughly around nine specialists that I follow up with. And it always seems to happen that they, all of the appointments are in like one single week and all of her specialists are at least an hour away. And then on top of that, I have Help Me Grow come out to our house every other week. And then on the opposite week, we go for speech therapy. It's very time consuming and a lot of gas mileage <laughs> as yeah. well. Crockpots. Crockpots are how I do it. <laughs> like, What's crockpots? Making meals ahead of time and just... That's how I run the house. So you have to be yeah. super organized and arranged and disciplined then. Yeah, and that's my problem. I am not organized at all. It's always last minute, and I'm always on the phone with Josh. God love him. And hearing me becoming really agitated because I forgot where I put something, and I'm blaming him for misplacing the object that he's probably never seen in his life. That's well, about, yeah. I think we're all winging it as parents. Yes. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm divorced, so when I'm not here traveling and doing my interviews, I'm at home with my kids and I'm absolutely winging it. Is there a shirt ready for school in the morning? Have you done your homework? It's all, everything. I think, I think most parents are doing that. I won't worry about yeah. that. So that's a lot of appointments, though, and you're, it sounds to me like you're saying that you're the one who has to keep up on it rather than them to you. Yes. Unfortunately, children's, our children's, I think, is second in the nation. But unfortunately, because so many people go there, their scheduling is really difficult to where every time I have to call and follow up and make sure that I'm setting these appointments. Because if I'm not and I wait till the last minute, I usually can't get an appointment until six months later and then I'm a year behind on the appointments. Right. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to follow up sometimes because I do find myself, especially when she has some type of health issue, like when infantile spasms came up and we were at the hospital every other week, I found myself falling behind on appointments that were specialties that weren't as acutely important at that time. And then having to go in nine months later and explain why I was late to come to the follow-up appointment. But it's luckily I work nights and so she doesn't have to go to daycare. So she's not usually around a bunch of other sick children. And we try to cut down on as many appointments and keep them kind of synchronized together so I'm not running around every week of the month trying to keep up with it. And the switch to nights was essentially puts you two as tag team, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we tag team and say I usually, because I work part-times, I work two twelves, and I usually work um, Mondays and Fridays, so I have the whole week off of work and then I work into the weekend so that we're both here. Seemed like a pretty good team. Yeah. And her brother. How's his understanding of it? Because he's eight, so I'm guessing he was about six when she was born. Yes. No, no, he's not eight. We've, we've all got that wrong now. I know. No, Seven. yeah. So he was... <laughs> Every one of us. He's just going to be eight for now. Of course. Yeah. Now you've looped me into this chaos yeah. of age. 
So he was five when she was born. Yeah. And um, how's his understanding of her condition? And, and do you have to teach him to be a bit more patient with her? Or Yes. We do have to get him to be more patient with her because he gets agitated when she does something that a baby would do, even um, like going up and pulling his hair, or taking his toy, or not playing something the way that he wants to play. And he gets extremely agitated with her. And we have to kind of remind him that... She's a baby. Like, it's okay. I let you into a secret. So my son's 15 and my daughter's nine, and that still happens. It happens. Yeah, so that's no different. Oh, actually, do you know something really interesting that we found out when we got here? My son's birthday's April. My daughter's birthday's February. Really? Yeah. And they're like five days apart as well. Madness. Okay, but he he has a... He understands, right? But he's just a... He just forgets, like... Yeah, her being a baby, she he forgets to be patient with her in that aspect. With Down syndrome, I would say his understanding with it, we've told him multiple times and I've used books and kind of explained that, you know, she has Down syndrome and the only thing that is different with that is that it might take her a little bit more time and that he might have to help her a little bit more with things. And he's when I told him, he was just like, okay, like a not boy. a big deal. But then again, in our home and around other family members, a lot of times we don't even think about her having Down syndrome. Uh-huh. She's just in the family and she's Clara and that's who she is. We more wanted him to hear the word Down syndrome and reference maybe just in case he hears it from one of his school friends or a teacher because we're well known in the school and I would hate for him to become defensive or hear something that might upset him just because he didn't have a reference of knowledge regarding okay. her. Yeah. All right, cool. So one of the biggest differences for me being in the UK and you being here is we have something called the NHS, which is you know the National Health Service, which is a social health care system, which comes with its own problems, without doubt. Um, private health care in the UK is fairly cheap because what they want to do is... It's, it kind of operates alongside the NHS. So if they can take any pressure off the NHS, it's useful. So I have private healthcare in the UK for me and my children, but it's, it's a very, very low cost. For the three of us, it's £120 a month. Now, there are lots of restrictions and things in there that you'll understand. What I've come to understand out here in the US, it's a very complicated system and a very expensive system that you can become totally trapped in and can essentially, it can also bankrupt you. So at the stage where you were pregnant, was that a different fear that was already in your head? I was like, oh shit, we've got the medical side coming in, the fees. I knew that we were going to start accruing medical bills, but Mm -hmm. I don't think I realized quite how much that was going to become. And we had, at least what I thought are considered good medical insurance you know, my wife works out of hospital, and so uh, she has medical insurance through them. And typically, you know, medical facilities give good medical insurance. So, but there's a fine print. Well, I don't even know if it's a fine print or just until you're exposed to it, you still don't realize just how much that stuff costs versus what the insurance company is going to actually end up covering. Right. So, because like I said, we had talked a little bit earlier about some of her treatments, and with those treatments. Um, the specific one was those steroid shots that she was taking for her infantile spasms. With that, it was almost kind of a predatory situation that that became with those. Is that the one that went from $40 to $35,000? Yes. Which I find mind-blowing. And so, obviously, we didn't 
directly paid $35,000 per vial, but our insurance also didn't cover all of that. So if you take the insurance out of the equation for the total amount of her treatment, it costs more than our house. And so uh, it, it's an insane amount of money for something that says, you know, you have to give this to your child or your child can die. And but so, I, what I don't understand is how someone can, did the company buy the patent or something? So uh, I, I'm not 100% all accurate. I, but with that being said, um, they definitely bought the rights to it. There's no generic version to it. And they locked it all down to, they're the only company that creates it. And once that happened, those prices insanely skyrocketed. So with the steroid medication, um, the before you said it was $40 because it was used solely for ACTH, and that's what they were selling. And then a company came through and bought the patent for the medication, and they were trying to market it as a Parkinson's medication simply for those symptoms. And because of that, it raised the price on this simple steroid medication um, just so that they could make more money off of it. And unfortunately, I feel like that happens a lot. And when they have a patent towards a drug, they can only keep it for so many years without having a generic medication made of it. And because of that, they were able to skyrocket it, that price up to, I think it was 35000 a vial. Yeah. And what was insane about it was it was cheaper for us to stay in the hospital for the seven days waiting for our insurance to verify that medication and say that it was covered than it was to go home and just have the medication. So we were stuck in limbo for seven days inpatient. I think it was like $16,000 overall for the seven day stay and just the medication because mm -hmm. we were just getting one shot a day until the medication was literally shipped to the hospital, had to be brought up to the room and put into my hands before I could leave the hospital. And it was just a lot, it was a lot of, plus, paying for the medication that wasn't covered. So the only time I was aware of this before, I just had to look up the name, was, but is that guy Martin Kelly, the pharma bro guy who's now in jail. He was a guy who, there was a life-saving drug and he did the same. He bought the patent and drug, uh, hacked up the probe. Oh, maybe it was. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was. So I was aware of that happening before. I can't understand how that can happen. Like I can see somebody buying it and say it's 40 bucks and they raised it to 100 bucks. It's still not great, but like, okay, you know, you've bought doable. the paper. Yeah, it's doable. <laughs> to go from 40 bucks to 35,000, to me, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's agrarious really, it's terrible. It's preying on people that even with Parkinson's, that need the medications to help their symptoms. Is it preying on people? Or is it preying on the insurance companies because they know the insurance Both. companies? Both, because yeah. with people that don't have insurance, then it's kind of like choosing... What do we do? Like we can't even afford. To you wouldn't be have able to this. get. You no. wouldn't be able to do that because I mean, how they would many... have to stay in the hospital, inpatient, and receive that medication every single day. Sorry, explain that to me. So, if you're an inpatient, you they worked it into your stay. Ah. Um, so you're charged by drug when you're in the hospital. So they were billing us for the one. I think it was one milliliter, one milliliter per day of the medication into our bill until we were able to get the vials for ourselves. Okay. So other children that were unable to have their insurance verify that drug or weren't able to be qualified for um, Medicare to get the drug, they would probably have to stay inpatient. Wow, okay. I mean, we, there's a lot of detail you could go in, but I think an easier way to get a, a grip of 
what the situation what the situation is like for you is there's a couple of kind of easy questions I can ask. It's like, do you know what the total cost of her medical care has been to date? Are we talking hundreds of thousands, no, tens of thousands, tens of thousands? Probably about twenty grand total so far. Is that is that twenty grand to you? Or, oh no no! I want. I mean the total. Oh. like including what the insurance will have paid. No, I, I have no idea. I know that looking at some of the bills, yeah, that yeah, would yeah. be hundreds. Just her steroid treatment was probably 160, 170. So we're talking hundreds of thousands. So we're talking, we're talking over her childhood. It's probably going to be in millions. Possibly, yes. Okay, but to you, it's twenty thousand. So essentially, about ten thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that something now, like, are you able to plan ahead and, and think, okay, I think it's going to cost us $10,000 a year every year until she's 18 or something? How, how do you? Yeah, I, I don't think we've ever thought of it like that. But yeah, we could plan out to set aside. I don't know. Yeah, I've never really thought about how much it would add up over the years. I think we just, we're kind of go with the flow people. And so as bills come along, we're like, oh, Another bill. And how does that work? Because most people, I know, if they get a huge bill suddenly, they mm-hmm. you can't pay it. Is there a certain, do they give payment plans, a certain amount of protection? Yeah. Um, they do set up payment plans. I know at least the hospital she was born at gave a payment plan to where they called you and asked, what can you pay on this? And it could be anything from $5 to thousands of dollars a month. But then you have to take in that, interest was acquiring on the bills as well. And it's, I think we ended up paying, Josh could probably explain it more because I unfortunately hate calling people, especially hospitals and talking with their finance companies. So I kind of pushed that onto him. Do you end up arguing with them? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Motherfuckers. I do, I get so mad at them. Well, especially because she was born at a hospital that I work at and the discount really wasn't very much. And I have my insurance through that hospital. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, I work here and I'm still having to pay you while I work here because the bills were so much and we acquired so much. And it's become even increasingly frustrating now that we have learned through the Down Syndrome Association that there were things that they could have told us about that would have covered her medical bills 100% for the first month she was alive. And so those medical bills that we put on credit cards and paid for out of pocket would have paid been covered. interest on. Yeah, they would have been completely covered, no questions about it. So so you had to resort to credit cards yes. to be able to do this. What if you couldn't have got a credit card? Fortunately, we had one already. Um, we had pretty good credit you know, ahead of time and things like that, took care of our stuff. But one of the reasons why we really moved over to credit card versus like staying on that monthly plan was because we were offered discounts if we paid the entire medical bill in full right. from the, the hospital verse making that $25, $50 a month, whatever payment. So at the time when it was just like one bill, it's like, okay, well, we can put four grand on the credit card, you know, whatever, no problem. But then down the pipe, here comes another bill, you know, something else comes up. And then next thing you know, you look at the credit card and there's like 15 grand on it. And you're yeah, like, oh shit. Stuff. Yeah, and so then the problem with that is, is, the monthly payments on the credit cards have now gotten so high that we're basically just paying seven, $800 a month in just interest. And so trying to just get out of the hole and get back to where it was. And and so we, we make our monthly payments on it right now, but we, we flutter around, 
you know, kind of what that, that cusp is on it because we, we can't get out from behind the interest at this rate. So then I've looked into things like trying to refinance it, consolidate loans, things like that. But then they look at our debt to income ratio and they say, we guys have, you know, 20 grand in debt. No, we're not going to give you a loan. So we're stuck. You know, we, all we can do is kind of keep making that monthly payment until, I don't know, something changes, you know, or, you know, over years as things have gotten a little bit better for a while, we were definitely, uh, during the big crypto run there, we, we supplement our income with that. We mm-hmm. did great. Then the bear market hit and, you know, that got yanked out from underneath this and everything. And so we lost that supplemental income at that point. She started picking up shifts here and there randomly to kind of keep things going. And, um, but you're both working and, and, you know, I guess there's going to be people in even worse situations than you that, you know, does it get to the point where you cannot afford treatment and, and therefore you won't be treated? Could that happen? We have the the luxury, at least, that treatment would never be turned away. Okay. So it just the debt would continue to accrue. And so it's pile that on top until you get to the point of where you can't afford it anymore and file for bankruptcy or something, I suppose. But I thought you can't eradicate uh, medical bills of bankruptcy in the US. Am I wrong about that? I don't know, to be honest with you. Fortunately, I've not had to look into that yet. Yeah, so. well, no, it's, I'm pretty sure that's something I read, but I could be wrong. I'll, I'll double check that. Okay, I mean, it's obviously a terrible situation to be in, but like, you're not going to not treat her. Absolutely. <laughs> and you're going to. So, did Obama aid make any difference? Because I've heard people say that's brilliant. I've also heard people say it's actually it's made things worse. I think it depends on what side of Obamacare you're on. There's two sides. Yes. Oh, God, I didn't even know So there are some people that it makes healthcare much more affordable for them because they were unable to get any type of private insurance. Um, There are some people that can't or unable to get Medicare or anything else, but then there are other people that, based on their income, Obamacare is more expensive for them. Overall, where I work in the emergency room, it's you come in and you're seen. We don't check your insurance before you're brought back to see a doctor. That is registration. So no matter what happens, you're going to be seen by a doctor that day. Um, but not every hospital is like that, right? No. Uh, we do like, find... I've heard about them checking pockets. Yes. We do find that a lot of people come in because we're a very public hospital. We have a very diverse population that comes in. We have a lot of homeless population that comes in and we treat everybody that is seen. Unfortunately, we do find that some of the other hospitals will have people show up and be like, well, this hospital told me to come here because they weren't going to see me. Or they're kind of pushed away. Build a reputation. Yes. Uh, We do have people that come in every single day to the hospital. And it's almost like a hobby that they come in and they're seen for some symptom that they have and then they're sent on their way. And a lot of people, it's because they are homeless and when we it starts to get colder We have people coming in just for a blanket, just for food. And we try to help with that by just offering them blankets and food so that they're not coming in to see a doctor and possibly holding up somebody else or even getting a bill and somebody tracking them down later for it. We'd rather just let them sit in the lobby and stay warm and give them food and give them a blanket if possible. It's insane how many people actually come in every day. So it's uh, never empty. Never empty. Um, as I was asking previously, you've obviously got observations of you're aware of what we have in the UK because when I said the yeah. NHS, you're aware, and you're obviously well aware of your own health system. From from where you are, what are the worst things about the US system that you think need to change? Follow up care. 
when people come in, especially for psychiatric patients and mental health patients, there is not a lot of follow-up care. I know with our hospital, we have emergency um, psychiatric services, but a lot of times those people that come in, they're released 24 hours later after talking and they don't have that follow-up care. And so they end up right back in the ED, possibly hurting themselves or not having their medication because they can't afford it. And so it's just an ongoing cycle of people coming in to get treated, then they can't afford their outpatient care. And so they come back to the emergency room and it's just a merry ground and they just can't get off of it. And it's horrible because you see it every single day. What about socialized healthcare though? Do you you know, there's a lot of pushback, especially from Republican sides, yes. to have socialized healthcare like we have in the UK. And like I say, the UK isn't perfect, but, you know, I've wanted to move to America. I, I love it out here. But the health system is something that concerns me. Is there is there much of a debate whereby people in the US want a health system like the UK, or do they just want the US system to be better? I think it depends on who you talk to. A lot of people that are older like the system how it is, and I think it's because they're so used to it, and mm-hmm. change is something that people rarely like to do, especially easily. And change is hard. I would say you have to revamp everything from the inside out, and that really irritates people because it's hard work to change something. But then you have people that are coming up, especially I think the younger generation, and even around my age, um, that middle kind of ground, that don't mind seeing the change because in the long run, it will make things easier. Like I said, getting follow-up care will be easier. People won't have to come into the emergency room to get a flu swab or to have any type of simple procedure done. We have people that come up just for a medical screening because they can't afford going to a private or a primary care doctor because they're not accepted or they don't have insurance that they're going to accept. And then if you don't have insurance and you're going to a private physician, then they're going to turn you away because they want their out-of-pocket copay right up front. So people come in and see us. But I think revamping the medical system and allowing people to get affordable health care is extremely important. Because when you're asking somebody to give $1,000 out-of-pocket just to be seen for a simple medical screen, to even get a job, because jobs are requiring that, how... How do you tell them, no, I can't do that for you. You, I, you can't afford it. Well, I can't get a job without doing it. And so I think it becomes difficult and people get lost in the healthcare system of what do I do next because I don't know what's going to happen and I can't afford what's going to happen, especially when people get older and more medical things happen because they're not following up at a younger age. So I know I'm really bad about that, uh, going to the doctor and so is Josh. But at least if something were to come up, we could afford to do it because we have insurance. And then there are people that don't go because they can't. They can't afford it. Yeah, it's a black hole, kind of. And it's run like a business in the United States. A lot of times, I think hospitals are a business. One thing I've noticed coming across here, which really stands out, is if I'm watching TV, is the number of adverts for... Uh, medicines and treatments for things I've never heard of, uh, which, by the way, have those really funny thirty seconds at the end where it's like, if you take this, you might, you might, you might die. You might, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? It's, I th- honestly, it's insanity. But it's it's almost like the industry is trying to convince people there's things wrong with them that don't exist because they want to sell them something or they want to. 
get them to use their It's like a competition. Like, oh, don't don't use them. Like, we have one less side effect, and ours is so much better. And look at these happy people on the screen that actually don't have what you have, and you could be them. Or convincing (laughs) you you have something that you didn't realize you had. No, that's definitely true. Yeah, I find competition in medicine very difficult because obviously competition has been great for innovation, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the discovery of new medicines and, you know, the innovation in machinery. And, yeah, yeah it's, it's, I think it's been great. But at the same time, I also find it very scary because um, people are seen as with dollar signs above their head as profit, you know, make yeah. you sick or convince you you're sick or if you are sick and that, then let's charge you. Well, I know that I feel like that's something that the United States just has like their finger on and... I've heard from other people from different places that coming here is just like a smack in the face because the United States is like nowhere else where you can see multiple billboards for like lawyers and medical companies and adverts on the television for different medicines. And it's like chasing problems that don't exist yet, but we have the cure for it. Well, it's part of the. It feels integrated into the American dream. It is yeah. the American dream. By the way, we're going to just make medicine a part of this, and that's the bit yeah. that concerns me. All right. Well, listen. Look, this has been fantastic. It's been like fascinating to learn things. Kind of, what's what's the near term future for you guys in terms of Clara and the things you're you know having to think about? Uh, right now, since her health is this year has been fantastic. Okay, great. Um, her health has been great. It's been the right now. She is knocked out. Yeah. All right now, I'm thinking more towards her going to preschool because she's about to turn two, uh-huh. and at the year or at the age of three, as soon as she turns three, she starts preschool. Okay, and she'll be going there five days a week, and it's more the thoughts towards the future of advocating for her schooling and her being integrated into the classroom with her peers because I think it's important for everybody. I mean, diversity is such a huge thing now, and everybody's pushing diverse cultures and. I don't want her to kind of fall to the wayside. I I want everybody to experience what being friends with Claire is like, and she is just fantastic. Well, she is absolutely adorable. And Josh, it's been great to get to know you in this this weird world where you get to know somebody online and then you finally get to meet them. But we've, uh, like I say, we've vibed back and forward for a, what, a good 18 months. I think you're a great guy. Thanks, Obviously I appreciate a great that. dad. I think she's adorable. And I wish you both the best. And if I can ever do anything for either of you, you well, you know you can reach out to me. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. And I really appreciate you taking an interest in her. And, you know, again, this is one of the things that I, I really wanted was to, to get her story out and advocate for her and normalize the stigmas, you know, and, and get people to understand that she's a person, you know, and she might be a little bit different, but she's got her own thing going on and it's pretty cool. Dude, I'm a little bit different. <laughs> I think we all are in a way. All right, mate. Well, listen, if people want to uh, get in touch with you, follow what's going on with Clara, what's the best way? It's at Clara Crypto on Twitter. All right, cool, man. Well, listen, all the best to both of you. Thank you for listening to Defiance. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Josh and Katie. It was really great for me to meet them in person, you know, having known Josh online for a couple of years, to actually get out there and meet him, meet his wife and meet both the kids was, you know, it was a real pleasure. And also, I think by the end of the interview that Clara had warmed to me, she was a, she was a little off with me when I first got there, but by the end of it, we had Queen on and we were rocking. So yes, great to meet the whole family. And also, as I mentioned in the intro, the sponsor profits for this show will be donated towards Clara's medical costs. If you also want to make a donation, then I've added some details about this in the show notes. Also, I need to say a big thanks to my sponsor Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin, consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. Find out more at kraken.com. 
Also, if you want to support the show, there's a number of things you can do. Please leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show. Follow the show on social media or share it out with your friends and family. If you have any questions about the show, then please feel free to email me on peter at defiance.news. 